0: A registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor Justin
1: Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, May 25th, 2022 edition. And I'm Justin Klein, and I look forward to this hour with you on this podcast and to answer your finance and investment questions in a very straightforward, unbiased way. No hidden agenda. Just give you the facts as I see them and some perspective of over 20 plus years of investment experience and experience different cycles and studying cycles that have happened decades before I was even born. Uh, and that's part of understanding markets as well, as understanding the history of markets. And frankly, I think the last decade plus will be a very unique period in market history. And now that period has ended and a new period has begun. So today's investing situation is very different than we've experienced over the past several decades. And thus your tools you need will be different as well. So the root of your decision-making will rest on understanding what is in front of you. Not what happened in the recent past, because that's what most people use to make decisions. Most people are scared of an 08. That's what they recently experienced when it comes to economic calamity. And thus, that's very unlikely to be the type of scenario that plays out going forward. People are guarding against it. When you are not prepared for something to happen, that's typically when it does happen. And vice versa, when you're preparing for the worst as a collective, that's often When nothing like that happens, and often the opposite happens, and you're experiencing that today. Think of what type of response governments have had, what central banks have had, post-financial crisis. It's coming to the rescue quickly and aggressively. And instead of a deflationary spiral that you got no aid, you're now having an inflationary impulse, because they overdid it. It's a manifestation of the fears of the recent past that are playing out in economies and markets. So these cycles are never ending. And there are secular cycles, there are cyclical cycles. And you need to understand what secular trends are continuing, because those will play out regardless of the cyclical nature of markets. And you're seeing that now. It's a good indication of how it, commodity inflation and the commodity supercycle is here is beginning once again. Because the broad markets weakening the broad economies, weakening, weakening, what are commodities doing, they are solid, and strong, S- small gyrations, but go look at the broad commodity indices, and they're just grinding higher through any economic weakness, market weakness. And that shows you the relative strength that they have. And it also should tell you, once again, this is a different regime. It's an inflationary regime that is likely to sustain itself. So I'm here, ready to answer your questions and give you the tools to become a better investor. So on this podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. So whether I'm talking about the market as a whole, a particular stock that you're calling in about, a particular strategy that you're trying to deploy. All of this, I'm going to present it without bias and give you the facts as I see them in front of me. So I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment question, which you can do right now. During our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time, or you can leave a question on our Anytime Voice Bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's eight 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 ninety nine chart So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hello, big fan of the show. I just wanted to see what kind of economic reports or indicators you guys use to see what kind of a uh, market environment we're in. Thank you. Well, that's a loaded question. Because... There are many, many indicators that that matter. But they none of them matter in a vacuum. It's as a whole. And what you want to be looking at are more leading indicators. Now, what are leading indicators? Consumer sentiment. Uh, ISM new orders. Because remember, leading is about what's going to happen three, six, nine months down the line. That's what's most important. When you're looking at GDP, for example, those numbers are backwards looking. Same with jobs numbers. Now, there's some more kind of coincidental indicators. Think of unemployment, unemployment, New unemployment um, claims, Those that's a pretty good, that's a weekly number that you can kind of get a sense of where the trend is going and it's kind of real time. But ideally, you want to be looking at indicators that are telling you something about the future. For example, building permits, building permits. When home builders want to build a home, they need to get it permitted create the plans before they actually start doing anything. And so if those building permits are rising, that means there going to be more activity from them in the future, more homes being built, more people buying homes, more furniture being purchased, more movers being hired. Buying a home creates a lot of economic activity. So those are a few of the factors once again, I could go on for hours touching on important economic numbers. But my main point here is make sure you're looking and you can look these up what are the what are what are uh, forward economic indicators or excuse me leading economic indicators what are coincidental and what are lagging. Most people when they're looking at when they're talking about economic data, they're looking at things that are lagging that are, that are from a month to 2 months ago. Uh, so so make sure you try to focus on things that are more up-to-date and leading. Now, Steve and I are thankful for your podcast support and our free downloads will continue. But I want to make you aware of two other ways to find our unbiased guidance, our YouTube channel as well as our Instagram account as well. We are building out more content on both platforms, so stay tuned and head over there. And remember, search Invest Talk with two T's. Invest Talk phone lines are open right now, so give me a call, 888 99 chart.
2: Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better?
0: One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the
2: Invest Talk podcast.
0: I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the
2: caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart.
1: Now, my focus point today is based on this question. Are there good places to park your short-term investments? I want to go over the options and what to think about the pros and cons and the various factors that go into that decision-making process. Then I want to look at some bans on exports of food around the world and how that is contributing and exacerbating the food inflation that we're seeing here and around the world. Also, How are investors dealing with the market meltdown? The average investor, a lot of new investors really getting crushed. Uh, And so we're going to dig into some examples of how they are dealing with uh, this market. And then lastly, ESG and Tesla being removed from the index and what that uh, is kind of telling about Tesla as well as just the ESG movement as a whole. Well, let's look at the market right now. We had a very solid up day. We had the Fed minutes come out. And this is a good example of another lagging indicator because the Fed minutes are roughly a month old. And a month is a long time in economic terms when it comes to the reports that come out about housing and uh, employment, etc. And there's certainly been, over the last two, three weeks, some pretty stark deceleration in the economic numbers. Now, that was pretty easy to see. But, you know, the Fed is reactionary. And they're certainly going to react to some of this economic weakness that's come out. And the big question is, how fast do they temper their forward guidance? And so, while the market kind of saw right through the Fed minutes, I always think the Fed minutes is overblown. It's great for CNBC to talk about but once again, it's stale data, and the market is looking at today and f- moving forward. And so uh, the market had a, a nice rally uh, pretty much post the the Fed uh, Minutes announcement. Now, after hours, you had companies like NVIDIA. They had earnings come out and disappointed. Uh, Snow, another one of those Kind of high-flying tech stocks, recent IPOs that uh, had a dud of an earnings report as well. That was down roughly ten percent after hours. So more carnage out of the tech space, and that shouldn't be surprising for for you. So next, uh, so tomorrow is likely going to be a, a weaker day, um, but you're certainly you're seeing see a bounce, and I think a lot of it has to do with the Fed potentially pivoting to a more dovish hiking cycle. Now let's head over to take a live call and talk to Bob in Milbrae looking at Coop, C-O-U-P.
2: Yes, hello. Thank you for taking my call.
1: Sure. Um,
2: I'm not looking to buy nor to sell, but I'm looking to see whether its balance sheet is strong enough to weather the storm and handle its short-term debt obligations.
1: Okay. So this is... Coupa software, and this is was one of those high flying cloud software stocks, now down 76% from its 52 week high. Now the positive is this is a a company that's making money. The problem is, is that it's making less money or expected to make less money this year than it did last year, actually down 76% earnings last year, eight 83 cents. So it's only make 20 cents this year. And so that's why you're seeing major deceleration uh, in the or a major decline in the stock price and multiples contracting. So now the good thing is they have positive free cash flow. That's good, uh, and they don't have a, a lot of debt on their balance sheet. So I think from a uh, that perspective, I think that's fine. But I think there's still a lot of compression when it comes to its multiple um, to go. So I, I see no reason why it's going to bottom at these levels uh, as earnings continue to decline. So yeah, I would not be touching Koopa at these levels, especially trading at over a hundred times forward-looking earnings, uh-uh, I'd pass on it, but I don't think they're going bankrupt or anything. They're just gonna continue to have bleeding of mar- or multiple uh, multiple. Uh, contraction. They'll have more multiple contractions. Excuse me. This is Invest Talk, and we have we're moving into a break. So I'm ready to take your questions now at eight 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 ninety nine chart
2: The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced, or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk alize quiz. Let's
1: go to David in Ohio, looking at QYLD.
2: Hi, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, I was looking at the uh, covered call ETF, mm-hmm. QYLD, mm-hmm. and uh, I was looking for income, and it's at a 52-week low. Your thoughts? And what would be a good entry point to get in.
1: Okay, so somebody called about this definitely over the last month, and and I spoke about it. And what the the end result is on a covered call strategy. It's about the underlying asset. And here the underlying asset is the NASDAQ 100. And the reason why this is at a 52 week low is because the NASDAQ 100 is, is at a 52 week low. So a cover call strategies are great. We run a cover call strategy, but we learn are leaning and, and have been leaning towards value stocks that are doing relatively well. And so definitely not down the 17% that QYLD is for the year uh, and because we're not tied to these big mega cap stocks. And you're probably trying to being roped into uh, the yield of, what's the current yield? About 11%, but okay, you're down 15. 16%, including the yield so far this year. So any cover call strategy, the most important factor is the underlying asset. And the underlying asset here is crap in this environment, as you could tell. So, no, I would not be buying this. And it's very important to own assets that are benefiting in an inflationary environment, that are benefiting, that, that, that will hold up when the economy is slowing, when growth is slowing, this is not absolutely not what you want to be invested in. My focus point today is based on the story, based on this question, are there good places to park your short term investments? Now yields are important. But there are other considerations as well, such as liquidity and guarantees. Now, many people see what's happening uh, with the stock market, worry about inflation recession, and they're saying, I want something safe. But typically, bonds are the place where you go for something safer. Well, because of the pace of interest rate policy, bonds have struggled mightily as well, especially longer dated bonds. Now, cash is always an option, but in an inflationary environment, that can be tough as well because your yield is going to be, your real yield is going to be negative. So cash is a losing proposition in that case, but everyone needs some level of emergency cushion. The typical rule of thumb is three to six months of living expenses. And if you are a retiree, that probably should be one to two years. Just so if there's market gyrations like now that you're not worried about that money that you had earmarked for spending, Now, the question is, what matters most? Well, that depends on who you are. Oftentimes, short-term investments that have the highest yields mean less liquidity. If you're looking for liquidity, that means lower yields. And if you're looking for the highest safe yield, then liquidity can be uh, tough as well. And then it comes to guarantees. You want something that's FDIC FDIC insured or not? So what are the options? One are CDs. They typically offer the highest yield, but you're locking up your money. Five-year CDs at bankrate.com yielding around 3%. Two-year CDs around 2.5%. But there are some caveats. One is... The highest yielding CDs, you need to put in $25,000 or even higher as a minimum. And then you pay a penalty for taking money out. Typically, longer dated CDs, you have to surrender six to 12 months worth of interest for an early withdrawal. Shorter, kind of one year CDs, three to six months worth of interest. Now, retirees who have ongoing cash flow needs, one way to deploy strategy is ladder those CDs. Now we do that for our retirees and laddered bonds, usually much higher yield, but obviously you don't get that guarantee. Whereas CDs are FDIC insured. Those are guaranteed. Now there's also online savings accounts. And with rates going up on fed funds rate, et cetera, those yields are getting definitely better approaching 1% now. And many of them are FDIC insured, or if they're with a credit union, there's the national uh, credit union insurance. And so that's one way to get liquidity, where you can take the money out whenever you want and get at least some decent yield. Now, they're all going to be lower than the current inflation rate, but... There's always drawbacks, right? Then there's stable value funds. Those can be good if they're within a 401k. They, that's where you can only access them. There's an insurance wrapper around them to, to kind of mimic that FDIC insurance, but you're invested in, in bonds. And so uh, that's one way to keep money in some safe assets. And then there's I-bonds. I-bonds are treasury bonds that pay a fixed interest rate as well as carry, and uh, uh, they layer on an extra... Um, amount based on inflation. Problem is, you can't sell them within one year, and if you sell them within five years, you sacrifice three months of interest, and you can only buy ten thousand dollars each year. Now we're heading to a break, so give me a call at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
2: You are listening to Invest Talk every Friday on the program and the podcast. Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888-99-CHART.
1: Go talk to Corey. He's in Ohio. He's looking at Zoetis. Zoetis? Z-T-S is the symbol. Do you own it or looking to buy it?
2: Looking to buy it, Zoetis. So, it's at a 52 week low. Um, I know the PE ratio is a little bit high in the low 30s, but it's checking a lot of boxes on the financial metrics that I really like. For instance, the re- return on invested capital is at 18%, return on equity is at 47%, and with a high gross margin at, at 71%. I know it's kind of best in breed for
1: um, the industry it's in. Um, I guess you know, is now a good point to get started, or would you maybe wait
2: another 10% to, to get in? Um, just want to get your opinion.
1: Okay, and I like what you're looking at, high return on equity, high return on invested capital, et cetera, all of that is a good place to start to find a good operating company. And this certainly is one of those. And for everyone else, this is Zoetis, they develop animal health vaccines, uh, and mainly for your pet, as well as for livestock. And they've been kind of a secular grower and very well-run company. Uh, it, 10 years ago, its revenue was about $4.3 billion. Now it's almost double that. And so it's had consistent growth, consistent cash flow. It's buying back shares, not at a fast clip, but you know a little bit, which is good. Uh, they pay a dividend and that dividend has been going up over time and they certainly have room to increase that dividend. So I like what you're looking at and it's it's back, it's into at least reasonable valuation. Enterprise value to EBITDA is 25 times. It was as high as almost 40 back in December of last year. Problem is, is that typically historically it doesn't get cheap until about 18 times, which would be roughly 20% lower than here. Uh, and then when I look at the chart, I'm seeing a very poor poor chart. Uh, continues to be in decline. It's trading at, uh, let's see, 34 times forward earnings. And earnings expectations for this year and next year are coming down. And then I look at the chart on a weekly basis, and I say there's not support. The next big support level is right around 140 to 145, somewhere in there. The major major support where this is a screaming buy is around 115 to 120. So those are kind of the two next levels at 115 to 120. I would say okay valuations lined up, the charts lined up, it's a screaming buy. Here, decent, it's okay, but I would definitely rather see 140 and ideally that 120 level. So those are kind of my uh, major major thoughts on Zoetis. Uh, I would be patient just simply because. It's in a downtrend. There's no capitulation volume, and you continue to see multiple contraction, and this trade's at high multiple. Thanks for the call. Now, we have another live call. Always glad to get those. This time, we go to Richard in the Bay Area. Actually, this is Castro Valley, and he's listening on AM 1220, asking about cash.
2: Yeah, uh, I use uh, Treasury Direct four-week mm-hmm. and eight-week notes. mm mm-hmm. um, and then I have them laddered for storage of cash. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: okay.
2: You had mentioned CDs and other things that all have,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, issues. Uh, mm-hmm. So, from a security standpoint, I'm, is that the wrong place to put it? Uh,
1: what well, What yield are you getting on eight month CDs or eight month uh, securities? Excuse me. No,
2: eight week. 4 four week, full week
1: and eight week. Yeah,
2: uh, right around a uh, percent, one point one. Okay, right
1: in that Yeah, I think that's not a bad way to go, uh, especially if you're okay locking the money up for that period of time. It's still pretty short term, right? Two two months or so. Uh, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that, and you know, laddering that is probably better than a liquid, a liquid money market account. You know, I'm thinking of. Uh, I, I know I use for my kind of short-term cash, Marcus by Goldman Sachs. I think it's, they just upped it to, I think 60 basis points or 70 basis points, somewhere in there, which is not yeah. as good as what you're getting. Um, but obviously, I can kind of take that out uh, very easily, very quickly if I, if I need to. Uh, now, CD, okay. lock it up longer, but you can get up to you know 2.5% on a, on a two-year. Uh, so that's not a bad way to go either. Uh, it just depends on your... Your time horizon, but that Treasury Direct and that those four four week and eight week uh, notes, that's not a bad way to go if you are, uh, you know, trying to get, you know, some yield off of that very very short term cash that you have.
2: Mm-hmm. Thanks for the call. Uh, different question. I didn't pre-call uh, on your like your ZOTAS. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about selling puts at that one twenty?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that is uh, not a bad way to go. Uh, you're definitely gonna have to go out a, a little bit farther, uh, to get decent yield. Let me see what the mm-hmm. let me see how far we have to go out. Yeah, to find some Three, decent months. open interest in some, some type of yield, you're gonna get about one percent on the 120s going out to January, so nah. a little over mm-hmm. half a year, you're gonna get actually make it up to. Three bucks, so you might get a couple percent on that. So that wouldn't be a bad way to go uh, if you want to pick up Zoetis around 120. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart. 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's touch a bit on export bans. And countries around the world have enacted a wave of export bans on food, pretty much since the start of the U- Ukraine war. Now, on nearly every continent, nations have put new restrictions on things like wheat, corn, edible oils, beans, lentils, sugar. Lebanon even export banned the export of ice cream and beer. And this is another shot across the bow when it comes to deglobalization. Governments limiting food exports in order to soothe public anger over inflation and historically inflation is the number one catalyst for social unrest so governments are quick to try to quell any increase in prices and their main mechanism and something that's politically popular within their country is to ban exports to bring food inflation down the problem is is that reverberates in the global food markets And experience has shown that these restrictions continue to push global food prices up the longer they persist, because it's harder to find a reasonable balance to where the countries take them off. Now, global food prices in April were up 30% from a year ago. Meat prices up 17%, cereal such as wheat and maize, which is actually corn, If you ever hear maize, M-A-I-Z-E, that's corn, it's up 34%. Vegetable oil up 46%. Now, the World Trade Organization has restrictions on things like tariffs and, and other import restrictions, if you're part of the WTO. But curbs on food exports aren't covered by these agreements. And so that's why you continue to see them. Because that's the one thing, if you're part of the WTO, that you can still control. Our countries like Malaysia, they're halting exports of 3.6 million chickens a month starting in June. And the prime minister said, quote, the government's priority is the people. And this is the new wave of populism. used to be protectionist trade policies from... Importing things, now it's protectionist to ban exports. In Indonesia, where they produce nearly 60% of the world's palm oil, they banned the export of their products in late April because cooking oil prices at home were rising dramatically. Now, in all 26 countries have implemented some type of export restrictions on food or fertilizer this year. Even advanced economies here in the U.S., Japan, U.K., Australia, they're banning things mainly related to Russia, exporting food to Russia. Many countries are dealing with even higher inflation than we are. Egypt, 13% in April. Ghana, 24%. Iran, 36%. Argentina, 58%. Lebanon, 207% last month. And so... This is just another example of how this multipolar world is evolving. And why, frankly, here in the US, I know a lot of people are pretty down on our political situation, on our economic situation, but we have a pretty diverse economy. We have a lot of natural resources. We have a lot of means of production from education to infrastructure to raw materials. And frankly, while I think the next decade is going to be difficult, I think we're going to come out the other end stronger. Now we need to do some things. We need to bring some production back here in order to make supply chains more resilient. Reform our economy. But we have the tools. A lot of countries don't. A lot of countries don't have energy independence like we do. They don't have a litany of different raw material inputs for end products. Like we do. So. I know a lot of people get pretty caught up and, and worried about uh, a lot of things in this country. But this is a good example of how, hey, we produce a lot of our food as well. Most of our food is exported. So while we do, we are going to see food inflation, it's going to be far worse around the world. I'll take a look at the calendar. Summer is almost here, just uh, less than a month away, June 21st. And volatility, guess what? It's actually higher typically in the summer. So volatility means you need to pay attention to the trends that will impact you and your portfolio. And so if you need to help understanding the trends and whether your portfolio is set up well for those coming trends, those current trends or not, I encourage you to reach out to myself or my partner, Steve Peasley at our company, KP Financial, where we practice parallel investing and we provide unbiased guidance, both on and off air. So take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting or send us a message through investtalk.com or call our office at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. And the sooner you can't contact us, the sooner we can help you get your portfolio optimized. Next up, we will pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank. So hang on.
2: Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice.
1: When do I know the right time to take?
2: Profits. And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show,
0: and I've learned a
2: whole lot. So don't forget to call Invest Talk 99 chart.
1: We're gonna to go to George in San Ramon. How are you doing, George? Oh, just fine. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, I got a general question. You have inflation going
0: up or staying up, sure. and yet you have economic growth going down. Mm -hmm. So with those two factors, which way do you see the 10-year bond yield heading in the
1: days and weeks and months ahead? I do think it's going to come down because I think the pace of Fed tightening will moderate. I think they Mm -hmm. were trying to get to cooling the asset markets as well as the broader economy uh, as fast as they reasonably could. Once they kind of pivoted on the whole inflation is transitory thing. And Mm -hmm. I think we're about there and you're already starting to see it. Not a lot of people are talking about it, but the 10 year peaked out at about 1.3.15. Now we're at 2.75. So it's already down 40 basis points over the past three weeks. And this is an indicator that the fed is going to moderate their pace. Uh, now, how much does that feed into things like mortgages? We shall see. Um, but I do think it's going to come down. some Are we going to go back down to 1.5% like we were in the fall of last year? Probably not. But get back in the low twos? It's certainly possible as the Fed kind of backs off. It's, hey, we're going to be at 3 3.5% of the Fed funds by the end of the year. I just don't think that's realistic. I think there'll be closer to 2 to 2.5%. Uh, and that will bring the ten-year down a bit.
0: Your, your thoughts for pulling liquidity out of the uh, market through their uh, their balance sheet reduction. If you pull the liquidity out, you would think that interest rates would go up. Uh, but you're still saying that the re- reduction in growth overshadows the uh, uh, re- reduction in liquidity through the balance
1: sheet. Yeah, because the for, the liquidity will actually this feeds more into asset prices than it feeds into. The bond market. The bond market is highly dependent on forward guidance and, and the rate of a policy, Fed policy. So I don't really see QT having a material impact on the 10 year itself. Now, 10 year will move, uh, but it's not going to be the main driver. Now we're heading into our final break. So I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart.
2: I greatly enjoy your program. I listen to it as I'm doing my daily walk, and I'm a little troubled with this uh, possible investment I wish to make. It's between two companies, TSN, Tyson Foods, and SAFM, Sanderson Farms. I like both companies, but I, I can't decide which one to purchase if the market goes lower and these two stocks go lower. I would like to purchase one of them. Can you give me uh, some guidance on which one might be a better buy? Uh, I certainly hope I don't chicken out from this particular purchase. Thank you. Goodbye.
1: <laughs> I love the ending of that. And the reason he said that is because he's talking about Tyson Foods and Sanderson Farm. Tyson Foods produces beef, chicken, pork, and related products for grocery retailers and wholesalers. And Sanderson Farms produces fresh and frozen chicken products. So they're more... Uh, pure play chicken producers. And longer term, I think Sanderson Farm has done better. Its overall return is better. Its dividend yield might be a bit lower, but its profitability has kind of stuck over the last decade in the high teens, low 20% range on average, whereas Tyson has been closer to the mid to low teens on return on equity. Both have consistent cash flows, which I like, and good balance sheets. But Sanderson Farm has an even better balance sheet than, than Tyson. And so while Sanderson Farm is smaller, I think it has more room to grow. Uh, it has higher profitability and a better balance sheet. So if I'm going one over the other, it's Sanderson, Sander, Sanderson Farm. There you go. Sanderson Farm's SA. Fm thanks for the call. I like what you're looking at. I like that you're looking at companies with cash flows and earnings that are trading at reasonable multiples. Currently, Tyson's trading at 5.7 times enterprise value to EBITDA. Sanderson is at three and a half times. So that's another thing. Sanderson is trading cheaper. Now lastly, lastly, let's pivot to favorite topic: Tesla, and the fact that they recently dropped from the ESG index and musk called the esg an outrageous scam saying that exxon remains in the index but tesla is now out and they said that they've he said that they've lost their integrity now i usually don't agree with elon but in a way i do here he says esg is a scam it's been weaponized by phony social justice warriors I, i don't know if i go that far but i would say it's been weaponized By fund providers to garner assets. And as a matter of fact, at the end of 2021, ESG funds hit $2.74 trillion, according to Morningstar. And like I've said before, the biggest issue is that you're lumping E, S, and G all together. So E is obviously environmental, how it impacts, how the company impacts the environment. Social is, are things like diversity between races, among sexes within the company, as well as the impact that it's having on local communities, et cetera. And then governance is how well they deal with regulators. Do they, are they fined for certain things? Uh, are they fair compensation, having fair compensation packages, et cetera. And guess what? All of those things are separate and different. And that's why Tesla got dinged because uh, not because of their E, but because the S and the G claims of racial discrimination, poor working conditions at the Fremont factory, handling investigations with regulators in regards to injuries and deaths tied to its vehicles. And some people, they might not care about that. They care only about the E. And what ESG is doing is it forcing all these people to invest in companies based on all three of these factors when they're, in a lot of ways, not related. And so, while I think Elon is a fraud, I think he's correct in this case. Now well, I'm Justin Klein. This is with another Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And now we officially, we're soon to hit, excuse me, soon to hit 42 million downloads. 42, pretty crazy. Get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
0: Invest Talk
1: is a trademark of
0: KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them.